Do you guys uh, want to quickly introduce yourself, where you serve currently, and uh, how long you've been there? Uh, yeah. My name's Heath. I currently serve in Tangier, Morocco. Uh, I've been there for six years. Marwan Abuzulov, uh, Beirut, Lebanon, uh, seven years, eight years, between five and ten years. Uh, Matt Tyler, Bangkok, Thailand, a year and a half. David Lawrence, uh, Erbil uh, Baptist Church, been there uh, five years. Uh, Dave Furman, Redeemer Church of Dubai. We just hit our 13th anniversary, but been here almost 15 years. So we're talking about international churches as a catalyst for missions. I guess we should start by defining the term, international church. What do we mean by an international church? Uh, how would you define that? I just should be the softball. Um, international church is a church in a, that is gathered of various people in a, in a specific location uh, that is in a language different than the host country. I would start that way. Anything to add? Anyone? Qualify Dave's definition. <laughs> how's, I'm, I'm just wondering, how is that different from just a local church, right? It, it Other is than a the local language, church. yeah. But why, why, what makes it international as opposed to a particular, just a language-speaking, particular language-speaking church? Right. I, I think it's helpful to be mindful that an international church should be very closely defined to just what a regular local church looks like. The only thing I'd add to David is that um, it's usually composed of those who are also living maybe in a city that's not their home country. And so that's where they gather around an international language, often English. Yeah. Um, so with that, do we, is there value in using the term international? I think that came up a little earlier in a different panel. Is there value in continuing, continuing to use the, this qualifier, right, international church, as opposed to English language church or something else? Uh, I, I brought that up in the, in the last panel. But I also I, I feel a bit hesitant to say it because I, I fit kind of a, a unique category in that in, in one way, certainly I'm a, a one who's been sent from a country that I considered home in the U.S., but also I was sent back to the other country where I have citizenship, so I kind of fit this, this unique category, at least I, I think so. But I push back at international church for the reasons I mentioned before, that uh, there, there are often or there are examples of churches that are filled with the local people, but yet in a different language. Uh, and so I prefer the definition of just an in, like an English language church, uh, if, if we have to define it because it's different than the local language. That's just kind of... Yeah, I, I also am not a big fan of the word international church, but... Uh, John Pentecost wrote a, a great defense of international churches as a concept. And when I mentioned that to him, he said, well, what other term are you going to use? And I don't really have a good suggestion for him. Uh, because, I mean, we all serve in English-speaking churches, but in my city there's Korean-speaking churches, you know, there's Filipino-speaking churches, like there's, there's multiple different language churches. So we call ourselves an English-speaking church in Bangkok, but in a gathering like this, it's just sometimes easier to say, international church. 
Um, let's talk a little bit about international churches and kind of the um, what people think of when they think of an international church, typically, right? Especially in mission circles, um, they have a reputation for kind of being Christian country clubs, right? Um, why do you think international churches are viewed that way or have been, or have ended up that way? What are the, some of the factors there that kind of keep the international church from being catalysts for mission? Yeah, thank, that's, I think it's a good question. Um, I think one of the reasons is because, as maybe Pastor John just mentioned, there, there are a lot of international churches that are not faithful churches. And so I remember right after I moved here, I traveled to a South Asian country and was preaching at an international church. And after lunch, I just asked one of who looked like a leader about their church, and they were very proud that they had no, no statement of faith, no elders. And they actually said that we intentionally uh, do a lowest common denominator theology. That might have been my word. Their word was we intentionally uh, limit or lower the theology to what we agree on. And so we don't preach hard doctrines. We don't have elders. We don't have membership because that would divide people. And we're all here from, from another country. Most of them are Westerners. We're all here from home, and we just need this place to feel comfortable. Uh, this, is, this is our home away from home. And so they intentionally took out anything that might divide or might separate. And so I was stunned, but then I began to see more and more uh, places that had churches like this. And so I think the, the bad rap comes from, from bad international churches. And actually, intentionally being that, uh, where they've put y- unity over truth. That's I, I get the sense that's somewhat ubiquitous, right? Yeah. That's kind of by and large the international this the churches that are saying something different that mo- a lot of which are represented in this room is a minority. Yeah, but a changing minority. I think I think by God's grace there is a movement in among. English-speaking churches in different cities, international cities, that is changing. I, I think another issue is a lot of uh, international churches that I've come across, they actually end up siloing themselves off from the country in which they actually live in. So there's a particular church in, in my city that's it's actually behind, like it's behind a, a gate. Yeah, and the homes are filled with Americans. It's like a little American bill. And the church kind of exists in that, in that little, you know, neighborhood. Uh, so they they're not really giving much thought necessarily to the the majority culture around them. I just was going to add that I think part of that answer is some of these churches started by default. It wasn't an intentional. We want to send. We want to see a healthy church because we believe the local church is central to God's mission. It's more. We don't know the language. There's a few of us here, we're Christians, and so we want to gather. So maybe there was never that intentionality. Kind of starting. Yeah, it's, it's a very similar idea that you just had. It's, it's most, at least in, in Tangier, in my experience, is that most of the people there, they don't really care about being a church. They just want to attend some sort of fellowship where they share a common, some common interests and in be encouraged in some way. And so generally, yeah, I would say that at least the international churches I know in Morocco, they exist primarily for a particular denomination that is sending their missionaries to that location, and they just want some fellowship for their season that they're in that city. That's it. 
Yeah. You know, I think what some of you guys have said, there's, there's a, one, probably one of the biggest objections to international churches being seen as having anything to do with missions is that international churches tend to maintain a foreign face in the country that they're located in, right? And are thus unable to engage in evangelism of the local population or any kind of meaningful missions work. Uh, I just wonder, as pastors of international congregations, how would you respond to that argument? I don't fit the bill here. I kept asking Josh, like, well, I'm on this panel. We're an Arabic-speaking church, but um, I do want to hear from everybody else. I would say come and see. Uh, see that, you know, uh, about a quarter of our uh, membership is local. Um, and, you know, there's only one uh, Kurdish open group that meets in the city, and it happens to be from and at our church. So th- for those that would, would have that objection, I would say, well, just come and see. Yeah, we, we have, I mean, pretty much all the non-Christians that are coming to our church right now are, are, are Thai, uh, Thai English speakers. Um, and there's, there's something, it's, you can tell when people are coming because they want to be the, around the English and when they're coming because they're legitimately, you know, curious about the gospel. Like you can, you can usually discern that pretty easily. And, and, uh, the four individuals that I have in mind are, are coming because, you know, they're, they're interested in the Bible. Uh, I think the other thing is, um, I, I, I served in China and then now I'm in, in Thailand, uh, and we, we had to give some significant and serious thought to how does our church here in Bangkok look different from our, our church in Shanghai. And, and there, there are some, some changes that we made. There are things that we're doing in Bangkok we did not do in Shanghai uh, because Bangkok is a different city. Uh, so we're, we're having to give thought to those kinds of things too, even as an international church. I'll just quickly add, I, I speak Arabic. I can't preach in Arabic, but it wouldn't take me very long to get to that point. The reason we have an English-speaking church, which Dave was there when we we had a meeting with a prominent Lebanese pastor, asking what are the needs of the city, he said an English-speaking church. And at my first, I was like, well, yeah, but we're not trying to reach internationals or or expats. But he was able to cast a vision, which is true, and we've seen it uh, in in the life of our church over the the years that we've been there, that uh, English language can, can often reach the local population in a way that the local language can't. There are different reasons, and that's a whole other conversation, but that's, that's been our experience as well. Um, come and see, and you'll see there's many locals in our church who have chosen um, English. Um, Keith, maybe you can jump in on this, but you know, one of the objections, uh, again, around the importance that we tend to place in our circles on international churches is you Nine Marks guys don't do real missions. You just plant English-speaking churches, right? Um, how would you respond to that? Uh, no, I, when it, when I just thought about some things in these last few days. I feel like the Lord did help me to understand how international, let's just use that term because we're using it, international churches have greatly benefited our church. How, that would be basically the way I'm going to answer this question. How have they benefited our church? Tremendously. Um, this church, members of this church, 
ECCD. Um, there's another international church in Casablanca, uh, Joe Goshi, and, and their church have greatly benefited our church because they've served us in many ways. Conferences like this very conference that we're in right now, resourcing and networking, helping on logistics and travel, bringing teachers in to help us with Charles Simeon Trust workshops, getting us publisher rights so that we can work on translations in our context in our own local language. That kind of networking potential and the power of our unity of working together, it just, it just, it's a synergy in which we move forward much faster because we're in cooperation. Those are just a few ways. Uh, and, and I think our, our end goal isn't just to see another English church planted or just only stay as English church. But we found, I think, what, what John was saying as well, um, some of these things are, are caught. And so the idea of having, you know, don't want to speak more than we are because <laughs> I remember uh, having a faux internship, reading through one of the Nine Marks books with, with a guy, a local. He said, Pastor, our, our church doesn't look like this. I'm like, I know. Like, we're, we're working towards that end. We, we want to grow in health. And the hope is as we grow in health, we'll be able to influence others because they're, they're able to see the fruit of faithful plotting, the importance of expositional preaching. And so I think there is a camaraderie. And if we're, we are thinking long term, churches will, will grow in health as more churches are planted and it will serve uh, those in the local language. It's our prayer and we've seen that here, I think, uh, throughout the region of the churches. Yeah, and I would just give an example. I mean, Third Avenue Baptist Church, uh, they decided to support a international church in Shanghai. And over the years, that international church was able to plant Chinese churches. So they may be you know, deciding to get behind an international church pastor, but that international church pastor has a desire to see local language churches planted as well. And we were able to do that in Shanghai. And, and is probably best positioned to foster the yes. planting of those local language churches. Yeah, and even assess you know, the individuals who are going to be pastoring there. And, and Maybe even better than a professional missionary parachuting in. Right. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> um, well, just a, just a thought to add to that. Uh, one is, or two thoughts. One is that uh, it, I don't think those nine marks guys are only planting English-speaking churches. Uh, for instance, uh, Joe Carroll uh, went through CHBC's internship. He's back. He's planting a Kurdish church. Um, and the second thing is, is that when we disciple one-on-one, we can disciple a lot of things, how to read your Bible, growing in holiness, all that kind of stuff. We cannot disciple individually what it means to be in a church. We can't disciple church that way. You have to be in a, a biblically healthy church to understand what that even looks like. And so I think the international church helps there, uh, if it is healthy, uh, so that it can become both a model and a place where somebody can come in and live the one another's together and therefore then take that and plant another church uh, in, a, in a local language. Um, you guys want to talk about how your churches have done some of that work, fostering and catalyzing faithful missions work um, you know, outside of your church? Yeah, I think, I think, I mean, that's why Gloria and I moved here 15 years ago with our baby child is not just to plant one English speaking congregation, but it's to see uh, p- people come to faith from a variety of nations and perhaps plant churches and other language groups. We came with that mission. And so we've tried to 
to lead the church as an elder team and as a congregation uh, to follow the Great Commission, that we're about making disciples um, of Jesus. And so uh, that's the hope, is to, to see disciples made and to see, see churches be planted. And so I think one way is just to encourage the whole membership to be on mission, that God did not bring them, in our case, to Dubai um, or the surrounding cities by accident. Uh, it's, it's not an accident that they came to study. It's not an accident that they got a job in Dubai. It is God's sovereign plan uh, for their spiritual good and for God's glory and for the, and for the good of the city. And so we um, encourage and challenge the, the, the members, even as they go through membership class or before their members, that God brought them here for a purpose, and that's to, to be a light for the gospel and to share the gospel. And so we think of our, our membership as an entire kind of army of missionaries or an army of sent ones, at least that term, of going out into the workplace, into the neighborhoods, into their schools, uh, to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. So this happens in a number of ways. So one way, Jerry, uh, one of our elders, he's now just moved back to the Philippines, but Jerry invites Adil from Afghanistan, from the Pashtun people group, to our church to visit. And so he comes for six months, and he hears the gospel preached. He hears the Bible taught. He sees 60 or 70 different nationalities gathering together. He hears a sermon by Pastor Morgan from Australia on Jesus is a good shepherd from uh, the gospel of John. Over the next three weeks, he actually has a dream about a, a figure in white, a Jesus figure calling himself, calling Adil to himself. And then Adil comes back to church, and we have Samuel from Nigeria uh, who's standing in the back. And Samuel is preaching, just happened to be preaching that week, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. It was in our sermon card from, from months before. And so Adil just couldn't believe it. Another Afghan named Hanif, he, couldn't, he just was stirred in the sermon. Afterwards, this group of Afghans, about eight or nine, came up to me, and Hanif said, I, I, I have something I want to say. And he wanted to say that he has placed his faith in Jesus, that he's a Christian, that he wants us to pray for him. Um, at the same time, Adil, who's faced much persecution, and the reason he's held back um, from coming to faith was because uh, he felt like his family and even his friends here might kill him if he comes to faith because of his conservative background. But he heard that, that sermon, two sermons on Jesus is a good shepherd. He sees the church body. He was in a small group led by an American and an Iranian. Um, he hears Nigerian preach the gospel. He comes up to an American. And, and Adil kind of moves into the front of this group after Hanif declared his faith. And Adil said, I, I have something I want to say. And the same man three weeks before, after Jesus is a good shepherd sermon, said, um, I'm too afraid. I, 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 this, this sounds good. I'm too afraid for my own life. That, that I might get killed for this. Three weeks later, here's that sermon by Samuel, comes up and says, uh, Pastor Dave, um, I've, I've become a follower of Christ. I'm no longer afraid because Jesus is my shepherd. And so there's, there's stories like that that we probably all have in our churches of where people are on mission in the church, inviting people from least reached backgrounds, coming into the church, seeing something glorious, seeing a corporate display of God's glory to the world and coming to Christ. I think to add to that, not just in, in that local context, but even, and I know Dave and Redeemer have done this a lot. We've just experienced it a little bit, but, you know, then sending people out to plant new churches. So we have a guy in, in Faisalabad who came through our internship. Now he's planting churches in the city and in the villages surrounding. Um, and so I know you've done that a bunch, and I'm sure some of the others have too. I think there's indirect ways that we're supporting missions too. Just, you know, when missionaries join our church, we, I can think of a couple in, in Shanghai that uh, pretty, like they're faithful missionaries. They, they were learning the language well. Uh, they were doing a good job, but they had some marriage issues. 
and our church was able to pursue counseling with them and, and help them through those, and they stayed on the field longer as a result of that. I think it's I think that's good. You get missionaries who can stay on the field longer because they have a, a good church that's encouraging their souls. I think that's a that's a positive. They don't have to go back to the U.S. to receive the the care that they need. For for my case, we we often have people that want to come join us in in Morocco, and because of the church that we planted and because of the direction we're going, I'd say it wouldn't be a good spot for you. But I often, like I was talking to David. Uh, yesterday, we often refer people to these other international churches. Hey, if you want to learn length, if you want to learn Arabic, and take a stepping stone in this direction, go land at one. Go go to Erbil. Go to Erbil and learn language. Go to go to Mon Jordan and join with Ethan and Eileen Merrick. Or go to, you know, Casablanca. When people really want to come into to Morocco, tell them go to Casablanca. Join with Job and Emily Goshi. Join with Cornerstone Baptist Church, and then see what your next step is from there. I will. <laughs> I'll do so. I think also the training programs, right? I think of what uh, ECCD has done and uh, men like Dennis Boris now in Kazakhstan. Uh, we've had the privilege of planting Sham is here in this room, but we planted a Telugu language church that's reaching out to Telugu people in labor camps, uh, which has all of the structures of biblical ecclesiology and faithful expositional preaching each week. Um, we're, I mean, I'm, we're sending one brother to Ethiopia, Negusi will be going to uh, Addis Ababa to plant there. And I'm thankful, actually, for an in- English-speaking church on the ground where he will be a member while he gets settled and does the work of uh, seeking to gather a congregation and uh, preach. Yeah. Uh, I want to pick up on what Matt was talking about uh, here a little bit more. <laughs> Thinking about the international church as a home base for missionaries who move overseas for gospel work. Um, brothers want to tease that out a little more. Uh, yeah, I, I just think that um, I, I don't think that every missionary should come over and join like a, an English-speaking church necessarily. Uh, I think that every missionary should be a part of a church, and if at some point they can join a local language church, then I think that's great. But... Uh, I've just seen I've seen people come over. You know, there's a there's a again just to use an example from Shanghai, uh, a, a family there. They were sent out as missionaries. Uh, I don't think any of us would have wanted them as elders uh, in, in in our in your church. Uh, but just through the slow kind of plotting, preaching of God's word after they joined, discipling, especially Mark Collins and investing in, in this particular brother. Uh, he eventually was an elder qualified man. Uh, his, his mission work improved significantly. And actually, uh, once COVID happened and many of us were scattered, he was able to, he's still there. He's still there as an elder of a church. He's still there doing good, good work. So I think that there's just this possibility of people who get, who get sent maybe before they, they should have been sent. Uh, and a good international church can, can help them, uh, it can help prepare them. And, you know, you don't necessarily send them back, but you, you kind of build them up and, and then they're set, set free. Awesome. Is that Brandon? So I, I, uh, well, what's fun, I baptized Brandon actually. So this, the guy he's talking about, who's still there. I found him on this, literally the side of the road in Denton, Texas at the university of North Texas. I was driving to church and I see Brandon uh, there outside the music hall. And I rolled down my window and said, Hey, you want to come to church with me? 
Uh, he got plugged in the church, and that's the church that ended up sending him. But I baptized him in a lake out, outside in Dallas. So I was wondering if that's who you're talking about. Um, I, didn't, I didn't send him, though. I didn't send him. I, I, I brought him, and I baptized him. <laughs> but, I, uh, was, well, but I didn't send him. No, that's all. Isn't that funny? Um, yeah, here you go. <laughs> so one of the objections that some people have about joining an, uh, an English-speaking church in, in the place where they've been sent is that it'll, it'll take me away from my calling, my, my mission. And uh, one of the things that I've always said to, to them is, look, you know, I'm not, I'm not looking to take you away from anything. Uh, it's like Ephesians 4 says, you know, that we're, so he himself, Gave some to be apostles and prophets, evangelists and pastors and teachers, equipping the saints for the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ. That's what I'm here to, to help you do is to, to equip you so you can go out there and do the thing that God's called you to do. And you'll be better fit, better filled and more encouraged, hopefully, to then go out and do the thing that God called you to do rather than just being... Uh, on your own and, and kind of dry. Yeah. And just to balance out my story of Brandon, uh, you know, yeah, poor Brandon. Uh, (laughs) you know, I actually, we've had the privilege of having missionaries in our church that are very evangelistic and maybe joining our church, you know, influences how much time they're able to give to some of that work. But I love it when I see church members go do evangelism with the missionaries and therefore learn how to be more faithful evangelists. And I think in the long run, that ends up multiplying work rather than slowing things down. I just was going to add, uh, how many missionaries either came to Lebanon or spent some time with me or somehow got connected with us uh, that come from like-minded enough churches in the U.S.? And we're here, my beard is growing white, uh, looking for help, trying to get people out. And there's people who are trained, who are gifted, who are funded, and just have missed the church. And so what a missed opportunity to strengthen the local church that does exist, and exactly what you're saying, to strengthen those believers that are there, to learn how to do evangelism, to go out on the streets. They have the capacity, the time, the ability, the gifting, the desire, and just completely as if local church, you know, in in an international context, it's a completely different biblical category than what they understand back home. And, of course, that's, there's a big conversation and, and discussion, but it's, it's a miss for the church and, and how long I've, I've prayed for people to come through. Not everyone. I don't want half our church not to be one team from a church or whatever it might be, an organization. But there are opportunities for us to work together back to the parachurch and church and how to reach the lost. I mean, if discipling and discipleship is largely the work of learning to follow Jesus, right, by watching the missionary's life. And if our own following Jesus always takes place in the New Testament in the context of the one another commands and covenant relationships in the body of Christ, how are you discipling someone if they don't see you committed to a congregation and following Jesus in the context of the local church? Um, Yeah, here's here's, let's... um, spice this up a little bit, right? Uh, So, yes, international churches are this great catalyst for missions. Praise God for international churches. Uh, They are in these cities where they can, you know, reach people and and all of this. And we have all of these fine, healthy international 
evangelical churches here in the UAE, and then the apparent paradox is that we have very, very few or none, no Emiratis coming to faith in Christ. Um, any comments on that paradox, seeming paradox? Are international churches thereby non-effective? The UAE is a very strange place altogether. I mean, what other place do you have, you know, 7 to 10% nationals among the total population? So I think in a lot of ways the international churches here reflect the population that, that exists, and it's hard for a local to get to come to faith here. It seems like most of the Emiratis that are coming to faith are coming to faith outside, uh, which is very interesting. And so I think the UAE is very interesting, is different in that way. Uh, I've noticed that in Erbil, uh, that's not necessarily the case. Uh, so I don't know, maybe a UAE phenomena. I think there's resting in the sovereignty of God. I mean, if, if we're faithful, I think there, there needs to be efforts, mindfulness. If there's no way we can evangelize, and are there regular prayer meetings for those that are unreached? But we, we can't force it. You know, I mean, I, I was, I'm very thankful that our church isn't 95% expats and just a, a couple of token locals. But I, I, there are some steps we can take towards reaching, uh, but, but ultimately we just trust the Lord to bring and to be faithful. So I think it more falls on the faithfulness of the church to either pray or to, to evangelize, but you can't manufacture some of these things. And trusting it's over 10, 20 years, not 10 months. Well, the missiologist's logic would be it might be more effective if there is kind of an exclusive Emirati church, and that would be more effective in reaching them. Yeah, I get that, the statement, but... In practice, what we just mentioned right here is that's not so true because these are not led necessarily by Pakistani, Indian, I don't know, what's the population of ECC, ECCD. There's quite a bit of different, Brock, I mean, there's quite a bit of different nationalities here, and they're coming to faith. It's not a church that's built around them. It's just a church. Yeah. You know, Emiratis... Um they don't have exclusive Emirati CrossFit classes. And, and they pick up all the CrossFit lingo and, and all of it. In fact, their CrossFit classes are jammed with Emiratis and people from other nations. So I've always wondered why is it when it comes to the gospel, you need something special or different. Uh, and I would go back to what Marwan said concerning the sovereign, sovereignty of God. Um, I guess we'll wrap up on that note. I had a few more questions, but um, I think we can end there. Yeah. yeah.